from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please join me in reading Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6, which can be found in your pew Bible in the Old Testament on page 491. Listen for and hear the word of God. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of its sun to the setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9 verses 2 through 9, which can be found on page 41 in the New Testament of your pew Bibles. Here again, God's word for you and for me. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen 
until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And would you join me in prayer? Oh God, may this old, mysterious word speak to us in a new way today. May it prepare us for the road that lies ahead. And maybe most of all, God, would you give us ears to hear it. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, let's just acknowledge right up front that there is a lot to take in from this scene in Mark's gospel. It would be easy, maybe especially for Presbyterians, because we really like to understand things, we really do, to get lost in trying to explain what's happening here and to miss that this is a moment of awesome mystery. It is quite simply an encounter with the divine. And one of the things that makes it so remarkable is that Peter, James, and John, those disciples, hear God speaking to them from a cloud, even as they're standing right next to Jesus the Christ, God in the flesh. So for these disciples, this is kind of a both and divine encounter. It's God powerful and mighty, speaking from a cloud on a mountain. It's the God of Psalm 50 that Gavin just read so well for us. This is God, the mighty one, God, the Lord, who speaks and can summon forth the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting, who shines forth and gives the world light, who does not keep silent. It is dramatic and shocking, as Sarah Kate just talked with our children about. It's something we've never seen, and the disciples were terrified. Thankfully, they didn't run away. And it is also, in addition to God the powerful and mighty, God with them, God our friend, our intimate, God who came to earth and was born a little baby and had parents and felt the things that we feel as human beings. This is Jesus, their friend and teacher, the one they've been traveling with on the way, the same one who called these disciples into service and trusted them with the good news of the gospel. Scholars have spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of words on the details of this scene. I'm going to spare you most of them. But I offer this interpretation this morning, in this moment, as Jesus was beginning to prepare his disciples for his own coming death, they needed to be jolted out of themselves. They needed to be awed by the powerful, sovereign God and they also, in order to be prepared for the work ahead of them, needed to be reminded that they are beloved, that they're being pulled yet again into relationship with their friend who came to bring the world love. 
If we look back just a little bit in Mark's gospel, we can see why this was so important, why these disciples needed this moment. It's a recurring theme through Mark's gospel that the disciples listen, they hear God's call, they hear Jesus's words to them, but they're very slow to get it, bless their hearts. They often hear the words, but they don't understand what the words mean, and sometimes they just plain old doubt. Just before this scene of transfiguration, Jesus has told his friends that he will die and be resurrected, and they hear him, but they don't really listen. They can't believe that. Peter even rebukes his Lord for saying such a thing. Another theme in Mark's gospel is this sense of urgency, that we're being compelled forward. And you can see why Jesus would have been feeling a lot of urgency, knowing that his life was walking toward the cross and that his disciples didn't really understand yet what he was asking them to do. They were confessing that they believed in him, but not understanding that faith in Jesus Christ was more than just following with him on the road. It would be following him to and beyond the grave. So these disciples needed to be jolted. They needed, quite literally, a mountaintop experience where they would encounter the divine. So they climb up a mountain. Now, in the ancient world, hiking wasn't a hobby. It wasn't an escape from smoggy air or a way to get outside of busy routines. Mountains were dangerous. So if travelers needed to cross a mountain, they did so at great risk. And they did that because there was no other option. Well, also in the ancient world, and this is going to sound really obvious, mountains were high. So people understood them as the place where you could go to get close to God. Throughout the Old Testament, God is revealed on mountaintops, like when God comes to Moses on Mount Sinai. And if you saw a cloud covering the mountain, that was understood as a sign that God was there reaching down into the world. I think we still hold on to a little bit of those views now, don't you? We like to go up to a mountain because we're not distracted by anything standing between us and the sky. Joel and I lived in South Africa for about a year. At the beginning of our life together, we lived just outside Cape Town. And if you've ever been to Cape Town or seen a picture of it, one of its most prominent features is Table Mountain a mountain that is really quite flat on the top. It looks like a tabletop. And the table is regularly shrouded with clouds, so thick that the locals call them the tablecloth. When the clouds come, you can't see the top of the mountain at all. The cable car is shut down and hikers are cautioned. And there's a different presence in that place. Even now, for us, it's hard not to be reminded in a cloud, on a mountaintop, that heaven and earth melt together and that God is with us. So, Peter, James, John, and Jesus go up a mountain by themselves. 
They get away from their routine. They get apart from the dusty roads and the humble homes where they've traveled with Jesus, where they've watched him heal people and perform miracles. And when they get there, this mysterious, amazing thing happens. Their traveling companion, their friend, Jesus, is transfigured. We can break this word down quite simply. Trans means changed. Figure means form. The form of the Jesus they know is changed into something glowing and dazzling and bright. The gospel tells us that Jesus' plain clothes are suddenly so bright that no bleach could possibly get to this level of whiteness. This is not the original Tide ad, I promise. In this dazzling display, the disciples see, in full effect, the godness of their friend. And just in a flash, they're tied together with their history, with Elijah and Moses, who were there with Jesus. Elijah and Moses, who were Old Testament leaders and prophets, who also got to encounter God, who also got to stand on holy ground and to meet God in an intimate way. Elijah and Moses both listened to God when the people they were called to lead were distracted and tempted by idols and straying from their faith. Elijah and Moses met God so they could be fueled for their work with God's people. There on a high mountain, Peter, James, and John become part of this privileged, beloved little community of people who've had an intimate encounter with God, who've been trusted to carry God's news. They're joined with Elijah and Moses as they see Jesus transformed and as they hear the voice of God speaking from a cloud and saying quite clearly, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Whatever noise distracts you, whatever idols or temptations, whatever fears or doubts you have, listen to this one. This one is the beloved son of God. And then Moses and Elijah, these authorities of the Old Testament that people were expecting to hear from again, they're gone. Only Jesus is left with the disciples, and all authority is left with him and in him and through him. No wonder Peter, James, and John were terrified. But you know what else Jesus said to them? Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And even after this dazzling, transfiguring encounter with God, the same Jesus who walked with them up that mountain walks with them back down to go back into the dusty roads and the humble homes to heal, to perform miracles, to prepare those disciples and us to be bearers of the good news. Friends, in just a few days, we'll begin the journey of Lent. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. We'll worship at noon in the chapel and at 7.30 p.m. in here, so come on back. Like Peter and James and John, we will prepare for Christ's death first contemplating our own, first remembering that we're finite creations, that we have life by the grace of God, 
and that as God's beloved, we're called to a particular kind of life. Here at the beginning of that journey toward the cross, I think we need that same reassurance the disciples got on the mountain, that reminder that Jesus walks with us, that the one who calls us leads us from death to life. But we also need the voice of God. Whether we get it on a mountaintop or in a cloud, we need to be called to attention, to be jolted out of ourselves to have the voice of God cut through the noise and the distractions of our lives and say to us, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. It's almost cliche to say that our world is noisy. Self-promoters and praise seekers vie for our attention and our time. Our news and our entertainment and our workplaces all seem to be trying to get something from us, whether to get us to buy something or to think a particular way or to take a position on one side or another. Which politician do you believe? Which testimony? Which memo? Which news source? It's all driving us to identify a camp to put ourselves in. Friends, there's an all-out battle for authority happening in our world, and it's inundating us with noise. I know that I am more focused on the news cycle than on the good news almost all the time now. I check the headlines more than I'd like to admit. I wake up and scroll through my phone first thing to see what's happened overnight. Does anyone else do that? I'm glad that's just not just me. <laughs> I read things that aren't drawing me closer to God or to my fellow human beings because I'm looking for voices that agree with me that have gotten printed somewhere. I'm drawn into the competition for authority. It's easy for me to listen to the loudest voice, and I often spend my God-given spirit railing against something that shouldn't have gotten my time to begin with. I hear God's voice and call. I do read the scriptures. But like the disciples, I'm drawn off course. I'm easily distracted. I'm easily discouraged. And it's often easier not to listen with my full heart. This Lent, my prayer is to hear God anew to see Jesus, to know again that he is transfigured, dazzling me more than any news story ever could, fully exalted even as he walks toward his own death for our sake. And my prayer is to walk with that one, just as he came down the mountain to walk with me. My prayer for us all, friends, is that above whatever is shouting at us, we will listen to him. God said, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to him. When he tells us to welcome children and to share our food, listen. When he says that we must forgive anything that we have against anyone, ouch, Listen to him. When he tells us to pay attention, to keep watch, 
when he says, deny yourselves and take up your crosses, listen to that one. When he says that the first will be last and the last will be first, listen to him. When Jesus says that he will suffer and die and that our faith must be more than just saying we believe, but following him all the way through his trial and torment and humiliating death, all the way to the grave and his resurrection, listen to him. When he teaches us, in no uncertain terms, that the greatest commandments are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Listen to him. Friends, Jesus is still saying, follow me. May we listen to him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
was a heavenly sound there at the end. Friends, go from this place in peace with your ears, your eyes, and your hearts opened for the voice of God and for Jesus, our friend, who walks alongside us. And as we prepare for the journey ahead, we go with confidence and courage, knowing that Jesus the Christ walks with us now and for all and forever. May that same Jesus guard your hearts and your minds and fill you with peace, perfect peace. Amen.